this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. I'm going to start reading in verse 16 of uh, John 14. This is Jesus addressing his disciples. This is a conversation they're having over an important meal the night that Jesus is arrested. Jesus goes on to say, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, What then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. We will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. Verse 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, Whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away, I will come to you. If you loved me, you will have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now that I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, your, your word that transcends just ink on a page, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying today. All for your glory. We pray this in the almighty name of Jesus. Amen. So, um, this morning, I want to talk about uh, the Holy Spirit, um, this sort of mysterious, uh, truly God member of this theological mystery we call the Trinity. I just want to talk about him. And yesterday, I was here in the church with my kids, and um, we were uh, vacuuming and stuff, and I was just thinking about this message and I started thinking about my friend Tyler. Do, do any of you guys remember Tyler Selves? Raise your hand if you remember Tyler. I'll take a picture. I'll send it to him. They remember you. <laughs> he used to work here uh, a while back. And I've known him for, for many years. And, um, and I was thinking about him. And he and I are, are friends. And any, any chance I get to spend with him, I really enjoy spending time with him. He and I have, like, weird things in common. But he's also very different from me. And so, like, if you know, he's, he's very animated, very goofy, very silly. He always says about himself, I'm a bit much. But, like, I am very introverted. I'm very, like, quiet, prefer to stay home. And he's very much like, you know, and 
But I, I really love him, and, and, I, and I find things out about him. I hear other people talking about him, and they really like him. And people just talk about, like, the cool things they got to do with Tyler, like, whether it's, like, video game stuff or, or like, board game stuff or, like, crazy outdoors stuff. And I'm just like, man, Tyler is such a cool guy. And I'll find out things about him that I just didn't know, and I'll be amazed. And, and it's funny because we have lived in a lot of the same towns, but never at the same time. So we've served or worked at a lot of the same ministries, but never at the same time. So I, I worked in Colorado City, Rye. I was like a volunteer. I, I helped out with a, a ministry in, in Colorado City. Um, and then after I left, he came. And then I moved to Pagosa. And then after I left Pagosa, he came to Pagosa. And he was in Pueblo before and after I was in Pueblo and all this sort of weird stuff. And it's, and it's funny because um, I saw him over the summer and we were driving in the car, just the two of us, and he was uh, giving me a ride to where I was staying, and we were just talking about everything. We were talking about the Lord, we were talking about fantasy, video games, we were talking about novels and anime and all kinds of stupid stuff. And I'm just like, I wish we lived at the same place at the same time, because I really think we could be friends. Like, I think, I think I would really enjoy hanging out with you, but it's just never really worked. And honestly, like, I don't know, Tyler's probably never going to watch this, but I love you, Tyler. Um... I don't think we're actually close enough to organize spending time together, because he lives in Oregon, and I live in Colorado, and if I knew him a, probably a little bit better, I might like plan to go visit him, but I don't really know him. I, I wouldn't expect him to come and visit me, you know what I'm saying? And, and it's just kind of funny, and I was thinking about that, and I was like, all right, let's get back on track. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, and the Lord just gave me this sort of gentle but intentional nudge that that's sometimes how I treat the Holy Spirit. And that's sometimes how a lot of us treat the Holy Spirit. We hear about him, and we're like, wow, what a cool dude. Like, I just really, anytime I've got to be around the Holy Spirit, I really like being around him. But we just don't really know each other that well. I don't really know much about him. The things that I do know I like, but I just wouldn't really, like, it would be awkward if I tried to spend time with him. It would be awkward if I asked questions about him or or really spent a lot of like one-on-one -on -one time because we just don't we just don't have a lot of relational equity to build on, and I and I was really convicted by that, and I was really moved by that because when you talk about a person, it's like I if if I don't see you on a regular basis, I'm pretty bad at keeping up with people that I don't like see, and and that's a character flaw. I'm not saying like oh it's just an excuse. I'm bad at it, so whatever, but it's like there's something about this relationship that we are ha to have with the Lord, this expectation that God has for our relationship with him that is absolutely dependent on the Holy Spirit. And some of us treat him like Tyler. <laughs> like, I like him. I want him around, but I don't know. I don't really miss him until I think about him. And I don't really think about him unless somebody starts talking about him. And I think that, that stinks, and I think that's, that's disappointing. And so today... I think it's easy to tell stories about the Holy Spirit, and, and our church fellowship has a history of revival. It has a history of these Pentecostal expressions, and we love telling stories about those times, but that's not the same thing as actually experiencing the Holy Spirit today, because we can tell stories. We can watch VHS, uh, like VHS tapes of, of Brownsville and be excited, like, wow, how weird. That almost seems uncomfortable. I almost don't like that, but I kind of do. But like to actually experience the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, 
to actually encounter and fellowship with him is a completely different story. That I could tell you stories about Tyler. You could tell me stories about Tyler. We could talk about our favorite actor or athlete or musician, and we can tell stories. But unless we actually are spending time with that person, we don't know them. And the goal of God creating mankind was not to create an affectionate fan club. It was to create a family. And I think as we explore the the person of Holy Spirit, um, this doctrine of the Trinity starts to kind of unveil. I love this this paraphrase quote from uh, St. Augustine, or if you're like uh, pretentious Augustine, um, I guess that's how his name was actually pronounced, but I just feel bad over pronouncing things. Um, he wasn't American, so his name wasn't Augustine. Um, but uh, he, w- he set out to write the, the like, seminal, perfect, collected, systematic work on the Holy Spirit. And he's standing on a beach in Morocco where he's from, and he's like, Lord, I want to do this for your church to preserve this, this doctrine of the Trinity and to preserve the person of the Holy Spirit for the, the generations of the church to come. And he's staring at the, the ocean, and he's just moved to tears, and the Lord just whispers to him, pick up a seashell and empty the ocean. Lord, that's impossible. Why would you call me to do something that's so impossible? And he's like, that's the task that you're asking to do. And, and uh, Augustine was also quoted to say, if, uh, if you try to reject the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. But if you try to understand the Trinity, you'll lose your mind (laughs) because it's unlike anything else that we experience. So get all the examples of the egg, shell, white, get all that out of your mind. It's not like ice and water and vapor. It's not like that. But I want to make much of the Holy Spirit today as a person. It's easy for our minds to go to the gifts of the Spirit. It's easy for our minds to go to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I want to start by talking about the Holy Spirit as a person. And as I was preparing for this, it was kind of silly because I, I wanted to dive into like uh, these, like I have a list of three questions and that kind of stuff. But I think it's important to talk about like personhood because really in language, it's easy to talk about spirits as its because it's immaterial, you know? It's, it's not like sensory cues aren't really there, it's immaterial. And even the Bible, in a lot of places, will refer to spiritual things without gender pronouns because they're not, like, physical. You know, they're not like people. But the attributes that the Holy Spirit carries, the emotions, the attitude, the actions, these divine works, they are so rooted in his personality. And, and in the section that we just read from John 14, um, Jesus actually intentionally uses um, masculine pronouns. And I don't know if you guys caught on to this through, like, our reception of the Bible, but Jesus wasn't this, like, lazy sort of, like, aimless communicator. <laughs> like, he, he spoke very deliberately, and, and I believe that he emphasized, like, masculinity, not because, like, he's, it's so important that you think of Holy Spirit as a man, but that you think of him as a person. He's not the force. He's not a good vibe. He is a person, unlike anything else. So... When we, when we look at the Holy Spirit, we're going to ask three questions. I think those were on the, the screen earlier. Um, how is the Holy Spirit God? What is his role in the Trinity, being the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? And how do we respond to the Holy Spirit, and what is his role in our lives? Um, so let's start with how is the Holy Spirit God? Um, I think it's, it's interesting because... Um, 
the last two times I've had uh, the opportunity to, to share here on a Sunday morning, um, the first time I talked about God the Father, I talked about his story and, and how it works. I talked about Jesus and, and how um, he is God. And uh, it's, uh, after that last message about Jesus, Darwin came up to me and he's like, you should talk about the Holy Spirit. And I was like, that's a fantastic idea. And so here we are this morning. Um, but I think in that, when I was talking about uh, Jesus being God, and we were talking about this, this high Christology of Jesus being truly man and truly God, um, I read this quote, and this is from a professor from England named Dr. Richard Bachman. And so let's read this quote again, talking about the uniqueness of divine identity. Sweet. Um, it was characterized especially by two features, that the one God is the sole creator of all things, and that the one God is the sole ruler of all things. To this unique identity correspond monultry, which he defines the exclusive worship of the one and only God who is so characterized. So just to, to kind of open our minds to this concept of Holy Spirit as God, um, not as an agent of God, not as a created force of God, not as just a presence of God, but it is, he is truly God. Let's talk about Holy Spirit as creator. So the scripture doesn't really give us an account of uh, Holy Spirit being created, so that's a good sign. Um, but I think something that is so compelling and easy to sort of uh, assume no significance is Genesis chapter 1. So if we look at verse 1 in Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Familiar. It sounds good. Like, awesome. God's there. And it talks about this, this creation and, and what's going on in this creation. It says, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. And I think this is compelling and beautiful because um, later on, the Lord seems to address a council. He says, like, let us do this. Let us do this. Our image. These kinds of, uh, these kinds of phrases. And scholars for generations have assumed there, there is more than one person present at this time. And we have looked at the theophanies throughout the Old Testament, these examples of God on the earth where it's the angel of the Lord that Jacob wrestled with, the, the fourth man in the fire with uh, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael, and these, these intense stories of God being near. And we see the Holy Spirit is named uh, in chapter 1 saying he's there in this decision, in this creative process. He is over it all. This is kind of a fun fact. I don't know if you're ever going to play like Bible trivia and you need to know this, but here you go. Um, the word for spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament is the same word that is used for breath. Like, so everybody take a deep breath. Does that feel good? Does that kind of mess you up how good that feels? Um, unless you like can't breathe very well, that it probably hurt. Sorry if I just offended you. But like, how dare you? How dare you breathe? Um, it's, it's the same word for breath, and, and I think that's, that's beautiful because we would never read that on the pages of an English Bible, but the reality is when God creates mankind out of the dirt and he says that he breathes into his nostrils, that word is still that, that ruach in Hebrew is breath. And I think that's important not just because it's the same word. Sweet. Pat yourself on the back. You now know a fact. But it's, it's so compelling because in John 20, when Jesus is post-resurrection commissioning his disciples, 
he uses this same sort of language, and I believe he echoes it with his behavior. Um, John 20, starting in verse 21, says, So Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And so now we see Holy Spirit being present at creation. And in a minute, we're going to read from Romans chapter 8 that he's also present at recreation. He's present at salvation. He actually plays a significant role. And I think this is so profound and so beautiful to see this. So in Romans 8, Paul will continue to elaborate on this. I love that about the New Testament, that you get these beautiful biographies of Jesus, and then these devoted, loving disciples just elaborate on his works for books and books and verses and verses, and it's so powerful. In Romans 8, Paul talks about a life that is set on the flesh, and how it is hopeful, or it's hopeless, excuse me. Uh, when your, your eyes are set on the flesh, it's hopeless, and you're committed to the doom of sin. But uh, when you're set on the spirit, there is life and peace. And he begins to talk about resurrection, not only of the spirit, but resurrection of the physical body. In verse 11, Romans 8, it says, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, like Jesus was talking about in John 20, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Holy Spirit has an irreplaceable role in the creation of mankind and the salvation of mankind. So let's look at Holy Spirit as an example of sovereignty and rulership. <laughs> Matthew 12 is nuts. So forgive me, because this is something that should be its own message, uh, but I'm just going to kind of take advantage of it to prove a point. Um, so I'm not taking it out of context by that sense, but like it deserves more explanation than I'm going to give it today. Um, Jesus is, is noted for casting out demons and some religious leaders and some hoity toities among him are starting to throw acute accusation at him. And they say that he is able to do this work where he's able to tell demons to go and they go because he himself has authority from the devil. And Jesus responds to this with, that is absurd. That doesn't make any sense. Why would the devil attack himself? That, that, that doesn't make any sense. And then he issues this terrifying statement. And starting in verse 30, it says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven, people. But blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now that should be alarming. That should be like, wait a second. We need to talk about that more. And really, we should. But the theological point I want to draw out of this is that Holy Spirit is not just some sort of option this is not just an addition. This is not that you can bundle it in with your Disney Plus. Like this is so significant that Jesus himself out of his own mouth said, you can blaspheme me and I'll forgive you. But if you blaspheme him, it'll be held against you. And I'm just like, Lord, how severe, how intense that the Holy Spirit has the power to judge you and release you of sin, and he will not 
if you slander and defame him. We can slander each other all day long and forgive each other, and the Lord can forgive us. But he says, if you attribute things to me that are not of me, it'll be held against you. If you deny me the glory for things that I deserve the glory for, it'll be held against you into the end of the age. And that is terrifying. That's, that's shocking. And I don't want you to be fearful today as we go through. It's like we can't focus on anything else because that sounds really scary, and I don't really have a good explanation for that. If that worries you, if that troubles you in your heart, then I, I want to I encourage you. You are, are you're still far from blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's not something you just do on accident. This is serious stuff, but the point is that the Holy Spirit is the Lord. <laughs> Man. Um, so we talked about Holy Spirit and resurrection of Jesus and Holy Spirit and our own resurrection and all these sort of things. But we should be so thankful for the Holy Spirit because he's actually been present and, um, and pivotal in every moment of Jesus' ministry. Because even the Holy Spirit is so significant in the incarnation of Jesus. If we look at Luke chapter 1, which is probably familiar, even if you don't spend a lot of time in the Bible or church, this is the Christmas story, right? This is Mary being visited by an angel and being told this, this glorious plan that involves her and the favor of the Lord towards her. And the way this is communicated is like, you'll have a child, and this child will be Emmanuel. This child will be Jesus. This child will be the Savior of, of all people. This will be the consolation of Israel. This is the promise that we've been waiting for a king from the line of David. This is so important. And Mary asks the question that she ought to ask. I'm so thankful that she asked this question because sometimes Bible characters don't ask the question that you're asking. But Mary asked the question that's on everybody's mind. How is this going to work? Mary said to the angel in verse 34, how can this be? <laughs> uh, since I am a virgin... I don't know how it works with angels, but that's not how it works down here. What are you talking about? The angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. So the entire ministry of Jesus is linked to Holy Spirit, and I think he deserves thankfulness for that. We talk about Christmas, and we talk about Jesus. We talk about this, this drooling baby in, in a manger. We talk about the gifts. We talk about all these things. But the reality is Holy Spirit was there making this possible. And don't let your minds wander to Greek mythology and, like, God's doing profane acts with human beings. That's not what we're looking at. What we're looking at is the power of God to make impossible things possible. The power of God to take something that is immaterial and make it material. The power of God, that, that same power that brings joy to your heart, that same power that comforts you when you're down, that same power that heals your body when you're sick is the same power that, that, that produced a child inside Mary. <laughs> um, if, we, if we look to uh, John the baptizer, he was, uh, I'm sorry, I feel very funky today. I'm sorry. I'm like communicating really choppy. <sighs> I can do this. We can do this. Let's go. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I like turned my head the wrong way. Um, for those of you listening to this on the podcast, I messed that up. Um, if we look at John the baptizer, Jesus called him the greatest man ever born of a woman. He called him more than a prophet. He called him all these really nice things. 
And the phrase that, that John uses most often, it's in all three or all four gospel accounts of, of his interaction with Jesus. The phrase that he uses the most often is the one who comes to baptize in the Holy Spirit. That's the way he prefers to refer to Jesus. And I think this is amazing because if we look at John chapter 1, we see the, the most, like, the, the greatest speaking role that John the baptizer gets. Um, starting at verse 32, it says, John testified saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained on him, him being Jesus. He said, I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So to the prophet that anoints and baptizes Jesus for the ministry that he's about to do, the prophet himself is given the indicator that the Holy Spirit is the way that you'll be able to tell the difference. The Holy Spirit is in the very beginning. He's in the incarnation. He's in the resurrection. He's in the ongoing ministry of Jesus. He is not a side character. He is in harmony and cooperation with the Lord as part of the Godhead being truly God. So the second thing we want to talk about is the Holy Spirit's role in the Trinity. We talked about his personality, and um, I want to go back to the words of Jesus in John 14. So if you're still there, you can look at it with me, or it will be on the screen as well. I want to read verse 16 again. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him. Because he abides with you and will be with you. Originally, um, I'd intended to reference this quickly and summarize it and whatever. But something really stuck out to me as I was praying over my message. It's already completely written, whatever. And as I was praying about it, I was, I was thinking about something that is um, easy for, for people to neglect, easy for me to neglect is that when Jesus describes the Holy Spirit, he relates him to the world. and He says, the world can't, can't receive him because they can't see him. They can't know him. And then he responds with an encouragement to those who are following Jesus, but you can know him. He gives him no guarantee that you can see him. The fact of the matter is you can't. You can't see him. And I was like, man, that's so discouraging. I remember talking with a friend the other day, and we were talking about uh, like being able to impart and communicate faith to our children. And it's hard to get a kid who is logical. It's hard to get an adult who is like logical and empirical and smart to think about God who they cannot see deserving everything that exists in their life. That's a hard sell. It's like I'm essentially asking you to commit to what in your mind is equivalent to an ideal I'm asking you to give everything to. But as I was asking the Lord about this, like how do I how do I make much of this? How do, I, how do I help encourage people that even though you cannot see him, that you can love him and that you can know him? And the Lord's like, don't sell these people short. They are adept at experiencing things not by sensory cues. And I was like, what in the world? And so as I was thinking about it, we, we see people, we see things that we like, we see things that we don't like, we smell things, we taste things, we touch things, whatever. All of those empirical details are very important. But the reality is a lot of what we interact with happens inside of us. I, I, I remember this. Let me give you an example of how this works. I was sitting in a restaurant 
um, with two people that I like I knew, but I didn't really know. You know, like we weren't like close. This was the first time that the three of us had ever been together at the same time alone. <laughs> And uh, and it was pretty quiet, and I think the other two people were pretty content with it being quiet. And if you if you're if I'm describing this to you, this is like an introvert's worst nightmare. Like I don't want to be here. I uh, we're in a foreign country, and I can't understand what anybody's saying. But I would rather be alone than this completely awkward interaction with you right now. Um, and so I was like, I gotta break the ice. And I was like, all right, here's a here's a good question. When's the last time you laughed really really hard, like really hard, like belly laugh, like you're gonna cry, you feel like you're gonna throw up. And both of them were like, I don't know if I've ever laughed like that. And I was like, that's like something else. Um, what is the first thing that you can remember? And both of them, their eyes just lit up. And the girl just started laughing. And she just started telling this story about her and her sister and all this stuff that was going on. And the guy was talking about like this interaction with his family and how precious it was. And he was tearing up a little bit. And I was like, wow. None of the details of any of those stories were present in that moment, but the feelings were absolutely reminiscent and real. That you have the power to think about someone you love who isn't right in front of you and feel love for them. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a gift from God? That tension you feel when somebody you love isn't near you and you miss them? That's not material. That's like electricity in your brain or something. I don't even know how that works. I didn't go to college. That's an amazing thing that everyone can experience. My daughter was watching Finding Dory the other night, and she starts crying when Dory finds her family. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> and I'm just like, what is going on? Shelby's telling me about this. Like She's crying, and she's just like, she, need, she missed her parents and she needed them. That wasn't something that they were like, all right, here's the chart and how this works. She missed her parents. Now she has her parents. Cue tears. It's like, no, she was able to connect all those things in her brain and suddenly she understood something that she didn't understand before. That's not because the movie is animated really well. That's because she has empathy, which is a gift from God. And I promise you, she doesn't have empathy about a lot of things, but that movie really got to her. <laughs> and I want you to be encouraged by this because the idea is we have experiences that are so personal and so internal and, dare I say, invisible that are more real than anything else. If you've ever experienced depression and you have a friend who's telling you, that's not true. Everything's fine. You know that it's not enough to just say, it's not true. Look at this. Look at that. It's not enough. I feel something right now that's more real than anything I can see or feel or touch. And I want you to know that the enemy likes to pinpoint that. He likes to he likes to identify those things and he likes to abuse those things because you have been given an incredible gift by God to perceive invisible things and interact with them. This isn't supposed to sound tutti frutti. This is there. You cannot see him, but you can know him. What a promise. What a gift. So let's talk about him some more. <laughs> Sorry, that was. Let's 
Let's look at uh, verses 26 and 27 in John 14 as we continue. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I live with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Um, some of your Bibles may say uh, comforter or advocate in the place of the word helper, but I think this is um, really important that, uh, especially if you, um, I think it kind of works both ways. If you come from a Pentecostal background, if you come from a charismatic background, or if you don't come from a charismatic background, it's easy to think about the Holy Spirit and think about prophecy, healing, tongues, uh, manifestations, those kinds of things. It's easy to, to immediately go there like, oh, well, what do you think about uh, initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What do you think about these doctrinal issues? What do you think about these, these seemingly secondary issues that, that divide churches to a great degree? Um, it's easy to go there, but I think what we need to start with to revere and respect the Holy Spirit is the fact that he comes as the helper. He comes as the comforter. He comes as, as the friend. When Jesus says, I'm going away, but I will not leave you as orphans, he's speaking of Holy Spirit. That he comes to be tender with you. He comes to convict you. He comes to redirect you. He comes to stop you. He comes to save you. I've talked to a couple different people in the last couple weeks that have gotten in car accidents and be like, I should be dead, but I'm not. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to thank the Holy Spirit for that. <laughs> like, I don't really know what was going on. I wasn't there when you got in a car accident. But I believe that the Holy Spirit is looking after you. I believe that he's protecting you and that he's with you. And it's easy to jump to all of our benefits and what we can do and all these sort of things. But let's look at him. When Jesus described him, he described peace. He described truth. Do you ever feel confused? You can raise your hand. I feel confused sometimes. Do you ever like listen to people and be like, <laughs> Shannon's raising two hands. I'm confused right now. <laughs> but it's like in our world, we have access to so much information, right? We have so much data on so many things. It's easy to be like, who do I believe? Who do I trust? And the Lord promises that the Holy Spirit will teach us everything. Can you imagine a teacher who knows everything? What a gift. It's like my catchphrase, what a gift. Um, and beyond just like teaching us everything, leading us into all truth, he'll actually remind us of what the truth is. The Lord gets it. The Lord gets the one ear out the other thing. The Lord gets, like I just went through the, the whole book of Isaiah with Deeper Project, and I remember like three or four chapters, maybe. And he's like, the Holy Spirit will teach you, and he will remind you. I think that's so, so powerful. Important when you're talking about the Holy Spirit is to look at the book of Acts. Um, I have this juicy quote from um, a scholar named uh, Stanley, Stanley Horton. He wrote a commentary on the book, and in his introduction, he used this quote. I have it in two slides, actually. So if you're writing this down, I, I wouldn't. I'll, I'll email it to you. It's a long one. <laughs> you're going to It's a good quote, though, so don't just tune out. Uh, originally, the book had no title. Since the middle of the second century AD, however, it has been known as the Acts of the Apostles. The title probably arose because the, the apostles are named in the first chapter. And in the first part of the book, they preached in the temple. Yet as we go through the book of Acts, we see that most of the apostles are not named again, and some are barely mentioned. Peter alone is prominent in the first part of the book. Paul alone is prominent in the latter part. 
And the second slide goes like this. Actually, the Holy Spirit is more prominent than the, the apostles, though they have the place of honor. The book records how Jesus himself focused attention on the Holy Spirit. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit then sets the action of the book in motion. Acts mentions or refers to the Spirit 51 times. Consequently, many have suggested that the Acts of the Holy Spirit would be a better title. And we're not trying to rename books of the Bible here, so don't like take that. Don't like start referring to it like that and confusing people. But the point is that we can read these books and be like, who are the apostles? What are the teaching of the apostles? What is going on? What is an apostle? Am I an apostle? And that's not the focus of the book. The focus of the book is the Lord. And the Lord is, is showing you who he is through the Holy Spirit and his activity. So let's look at the way Jesus talked about it in chapter 1. Starting in verse 4, it says, Gathering them together, he, he being Jesus, commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father, for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, is it, not, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. Isn't it remarkable that following three and a half years of intentional discipleship and on-the-job training for ministry, that they got to witness the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, not to mention the uh, unfortunately uh, rarely mentioned 40 days after he rose from the dead that he's appearing to the disciples, opening their minds to the scriptures and teaching them. And they're about to witness him ascending into heaven the same way that he came. And he's like, all of that is not enough. There's more. You need to do what I told you to do, but you have to wait because there's something necessary. The Holy Spirit has a mighty act to perform, and you need to wait for that. Because only then, despite all of your experience, despite all your knowledge, only then will you have the power to do what I've called you to do. So we read in John... Um, this idea that uh, the Holy Spirit is the source of truth and comfort and peace. And here in Acts, we see the idea that the Holy Spirit is the source of power to obey and love God. The Holy Spirit is everything to us. The Holy Spirit is the reason that we can love God and serve him. He's the reason that we can obey him and love him. And I think it's easy so the study of, of Holy Spirit, if you're interested, is uh, called pneumatology. And scholars love debating. That's like what scholars do. Scholars debate on the pneumatology of Luke in the book of Acts and the pneumatology of Paul in like a good portion of the New Testament. And they like to say like, these guys didn't have the same idea. They never compared notes. They're talking about Holy Spirit like he's completely different. Like it's just hard to take any credibility to what he's talking about. I don't know if any of you have ever read the Bible and felt that. I hope that you haven't, because the reality is you all are really smart, and the reality is Holy Spirit is diverse because he's a person. And so there are things that you need in a season. There are seasons where you need to be convicted of sin, and there are seasons where you need to be comforted and told that you're enough. But if those get swapped, if those get misunderstood, 
If when you're supposed to be preaching the gospel and calling out sin, you're instead just like in the fetal position celebrating God's love for you, you're, you're missing what God is doing in your life. And so God is, is aware of that, and he's diverse. And so I love linking these things together, the way that Luke talks about Holy Spirit and the way that Paul talks about Holy Spirit, because they're not so separate that they cannot be reconciled. In fact, I think Paul does a fantastic job in 1 Corinthians 2. <laughs> he talks about um, the way that he preaches the gospel in 1 Corinthians 2. He says that he doesn't come to persuade you. He doesn't come with clever words or, or fancy sort of things, but his, his method that he got from the Lord is to come with demonstrations of the Spirit and power. And he says, this guy, Paul, who's very, very smart, he was trained by, he was trained by Galam, Gal, Galamaliel? Galamaliel? How do you say that name? <laughs> yeah, whatever, him. He's really smart. He's been classically trained in these things. He probably even knows Hellenistic literature. He's got lots of examples, lots of things to draw through. And he tells them in 1 Corinthians 2, I make it my aim to know nothing but Christ Jesus and him crucified. I make it my aim to only preach the gospel in demonstrations of the Spirit and in power. And I think it's so powerful. As he's kind of concluding these things, he's talking about wisdom. And he's like, we don't just preach wisdom willy-nilly, but there is wisdom to be preached. That even the elite and the intellectual of this age cannot comprehend. There is wisdom that eye has not seen and ear has not heard. All these sort of things. And he begins to summarize how this wisdom works, starting in verse 10. It says, for to us, God revealed them, being the, the mysteries, the wisdom, through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For whom among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of a man, which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit of him, the, the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. So we see the elements of truth and peace and comfort and power and, and the gospel coming together in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is speaking mysteries to us, wisdom to us, straight from the depths of God that we cannot comprehend. I would love to explain these things to you. Like, what does that actually mean? I have this, like, little sensor in my brain because I didn't grow up in church that just cringes every time just says every time somebody says like a super spiritual phrase I'm like what does that mean i remember sitting in church and hearing people talk about the bible I'm like that all sounds great but i don't know what you're talking about my parents didn't read me the bible before bed god bless them but like it's just it, i what do i do with this and i remember being a youth pastor and and my silliest example is somebody was preaching uh, at our youth group and I'm sitting next to this junior hire, and they're talking about leprosy, and they're comparing leprosy of the body to, like, leprosy of the soul. Like, you can be marred, and, and they're using this allegory. And I was like, hey, dude, do you know what a leper is? He's like, oh, yeah, for sure. I was like, what is it? He's like, like, like the big cat, like a predator. And I was like, do you honestly think that's what we're talking about? In the, does that make sense? He's like, no, super does. I don't understand what he's talking about. <laughs> And I'm like, we, we try and just make these things sound so formal and wondrous, but the reality is a phrase like wisdom and mysteries of God, that Holy Spirit like digs to the bottom of God's depths and pulls out treasure and gives them to you. What is that? And I'm here to tell you today, 
I don't know. That's the point. He literally says no one can understand this, but God is going to freely give it to you. It's something that your intellect and your comprehension can't wrap its arms around. But yet God is giving it to you because he's good. And honestly, I think he likes blowing our minds. I think he likes us wading through the cold, frigid waters of boredom. Then all of a sudden we reach a spring that is like, oh my gosh, Lord, you're good. Lord, you're real. You're so wise. You're so powerful. I love the way uh, Corey Russell talked about this in a book about speaking in tongues. (laughs) If you want to borrow it, it's in my office. Um, this Corey Russell quote goes like this. God desires to give us the mysteries of the kingdom. God desires to give the mysteries of the kingdom to us. Mysteries aren't things that are hidden from us, but things that are hidden for us. They aren't hidden that they can never be known, but things that are hidden for the purpose of being found. And I think this sounds silly. You're like, I don't really think that's in the Bible. That doesn't really sound like God. Doesn't God give himself... Doesn't he disclose himself completely to us? Why would he hide things so we could find them? Solomon said it this way in Proverbs 25. He said, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. Are you kidding me? Put it in, put it in like your, your own translation. It is the glory of God to hide, some, hide things from you. Because it's the glory of kings to search out matters. This is why the economy of God is built around seeking and finding, not just clicking and downloading. I'm not like anti-downloading. I use the internet. It's totally cool. But like the idea is it's easy to come to the Lord and be like, all right, Lord, I've been following you for like, I think like 13 years. Shouldn't I be past X, Y, Z? Shouldn't I be done with that? Shouldn't I understand you? Shouldn't I know how to pray? Like when somebody calls on me to pray, shouldn't I not get scared and just know what to say? And the Lord is saying, if you seek me, you'll find me. You mean if I open the box, you'll be inside, right? No, you got to look. Knock, and the door will be open. Oh, you mean like a pretty even exchange, right? I knock, you open the door. The example he uses just before that, we're going to read Luke 11 in a little bit, the example he uses is somebody that's ignoring the person at the door, and the person at the door has to be like, please open the door. He's like, knock, and the door will be open. You're like, what am I signing up for? I'm signing up to to know God. I'm not signing up for this easy road of of the matrix get plugged in, and all of a sudden you know kung fu. If you don't understand that reference, it's totally fine. Don't watch the movie. It's rated R. But... (laughs) (laughs) I'm losing my way here, you guys. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That was so stupid. I don't have that in my notes. Um, let's talk about responding to the Holy Spirit. We talked about who, how he is God. We talked about his role in the Trinity. And let's talk about his role in our lives. So if you're still open in John 14, just flip like one page over. We're going to look at John 16. This is the same conversation This is the night that Jesus is about to be arrested. He's about to be put on trial. He's about to be flogged and tortured, put into open shame and crucified until he dies. Now, 
one could assume that the conversation that Jesus is having right before this very epic climax in all of history is a very important conversation, and I think it deserves our attention. Let's look at verse 5 in chapter 16. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks, where am I going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he said, when he comes, uh, he said, when he comes, will... (laughs) And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And whatever, and he will disclose to you what is to come. And he will glorify me. For he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. This is important because um, if you have decided to follow Jesus, if you spent a little bit of time in the Bible, it's easy to be kind of uh, tempted in this train of thought that if I could be there with Jesus in the flesh. I bet I could be really wholehearted. It's just hard, like, having to go to work every day. It's hard having to raise kids. It's hard having to do life like a normal person. But the disciples seemed like they had a good cut. Like, what a blessing. And it was a blessing. I don't try to underplay, like, what they received. And knowing Jesus in the flesh. But Jesus' own admission is... It's your advantage that I go away. It's actually a gift to you that I'm not here in the flesh. That if you get an advantage in a competition, that means you have a leg up and you're probably going to win. And he's saying, I I was reading one uh, commentator writing about this passage, and he said that uh, what we can understand about, like, the physical body of Jesus is that he was limited by space and time. He was 100% with the people that he was with, he was with, like that he was in the same proximity as, but he was limited by that space that he couldn't be with everybody at the same time. But Holy Spirit, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he is with you forever. He is with you as comforter, as teacher. And I think that is profound. And Jesus describes this as a leg up in the race. He describes this as an advantage, that it's your benefit that I leave that the Holy Spirit comes. So my first um, recommendation to you on how to respond to the Holy Spirit is to rejoice. If you're sitting in this place and you're like, I don't know if I know this, this cosmic entity, Holy Spirit, God, who creates and resurrects. I don't know if I know what you're talking about. Rejoice that Jesus left and that he could come. Be thankful because we have an advantage, not an advantage that we earned, not an advantage because we're skilled. We were given this advantage because God is good and he's full of grace. The second response that I would recommend to you is to look at the scripture. 2 Timothy 3 talks about scripture being inspired by God. 
When Jesus talks about the inspiration of Scripture, as he's testing the Pharisees about Psalm 110, he says that the Holy Spirit is the one that is writing the Scripture. And I know it seems like, isn't that the way most of your sermons end, is read the Bible? But the reality is, we can actually fill our minds with language that the Holy Spirit is going to speak with. Inspiration that he's going to illuminate. And there's something that happens when you wade through boredom and are settled and set on pursuing God that he encounters you in it. That you can't just wait for the next guest speaker evangelist to come into town for you to feel something. You can actually begin to knock on the door now. I, um, the phrase that, that I, I kind of heard this week that I use to kind of illustrate this is to let, uh, to be committed to the time it takes for the ink to become blood, so to speak, for it to get inside of you, for you to look past just the, the face value English words on the page and just begin to encounter the Lord. The third thing that I would recommend is to fellowship with him. And again, that's one of those phrases that's just like fellowship. What are you actually talking about? What does that actually mean? Like, I don't say that when I go to hang out with my friends, like, oh, we're just going to go fellowship. Some people do say that. But I, I don't really say that. And I think it's, I use that word intentionally because in 2 Corinthians 13, as, as Paul is closing his second letter to this church, he uses this sort of benediction and ending. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Undoubtedly, all three of these attributes apply to all three persons. But I think there was intentionality as Paul was writing this that there was this emphasis on fellowship when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I think these attributes deserve our attention. And I think this is an expansive topic. But I want to try and make it simple. I, we, we should and we can talk about this a lot, but the reality is when it's referring to the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, I think in essence it's intentional quality time. I think it's hard to talk to something you cannot see. It's hard to think about something that you don't really experience like other things. Like when I asked my friends about their, their first memory, they were able to draw on data that they had from other stuff, but here we're drawing on thoughts and feelings and, and spiritual experiences that we can't really describe. And my, my honest recommendation is to take time, look at passages of Scripture that are about the Holy Spirit, read them out loud, ask Him about them. Read them out loud and thank Him for them. I read uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 12, almost every corporate prayer meeting that we have. We pray about the baptism of the Holy Spirit pretty often on Wednesday nights and stuff. But I open that up because I'm honestly just not a very good, like I just have a heart, like my brain is mostly thinking about nothing. Like I'm mostly on, on default nothing. So I have to get something in front of me. I have to start stoking up thoughts. You know, my pilot light is generally off. I have to light it. Um, <laughs> by the grace of God, I have to come alive and think about something. People always think I'm in a bad mood. Sometimes I am. But people always think I'm in a bad mood. It's like, nope, defaults, nothing. Like, nothing is going on. <laughs> it's true. 
no one knows the, the inner parts of a man but the spirit of a man. And, and so what I do is I open up to uh, 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 10 through 12, and I begin to talk about that. Like, you search all things, even the depths of God, and disclose them to me. All the things that are freely given to me by God come from you. What does that mean? Give me an example. Thank you. Sorry, I should have started with thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for searching the deep things of God. Thank you for, for digging out this mine and finding treasure and bringing it to me. Because sometimes I feel like that, that, that pig in um, Jesus' example where I'm, I'm, it, it almost feels like it's wasted when you're just giving it to me. I, I just don't understand. But help me. And a lot of times, like, I, I think uh, this is a plug. We always make a big plug for Deeper Project because we love Deeper Project. But I want to make a big plug for Wednesday night as well. Wednesday night's a big deal. And it doesn't feel like a big deal. I'll be honest. A lot of times we'll walk in here, there's chill music going on. And if you walk around the room, you basically hear people muttering in tongues to themselves. <laughs> Sometimes people are, like, praying for requests and stuff. But that's, that's a lot of what I do. You know, that's a lot of what you'll hear out of me because it's me desperately grasping Jesus' help, Holy Spirit help. I'm not praying because I'm good at prayer. I'm praying because I really love you and I really need you. And I love this because we're not going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I actually have a bunch of notes and, uh, and uh, a chart and all kinds of stuff. We're not going to talk about that today. I knew that we weren't going to talk about that today. I wrote it just in case I all of a sudden like sped through that first part. But um, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it another time. Like, whatever. Because um, it is important. I'm not trying to underplay that. But I want to give uh, a place for the Holy Spirit as a person to just be talked about. But when we look at 1 Corinthians 12, and when we look at 1 Corinthians 14, and we look at the essence of these things, like the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit for the common good, these kinds of things. And, and 14 opens with this idea that, like, um, when you speak in a tongue, you speak to God, mysteries, and you edify yourself. But when you speak a word of prophecy, you edify the church. And so that, by many people, has been interpreted, okay, prophecy is good, but tongues are bad. I was at uh, the community prayer room back when it was a neutral location, and we were teaching uh, uh, like a, just like a crash course on prayer, so just get people excited about praying. And I remember, I just felt like the Lord, uh, like this doesn't happen very often where the Lord just tells me to do stuff, but the Lord was just like, ask people these questions and ask people to raise their hands. And I'll ask you today too. You don't have to raise your hand if you're embarrassed, but that's fine. Think about it. I ask people, who, who here has laid hands on somebody and prayed for somebody and they got healed? Or you have been prayed for and you've gotten healed? Almost every hand in the room. We had a lot of young people, a couple, couple senior saints in the Lord, but it was a lot of young people. And I was like, that is unexpected. That's exciting. Unexpected. I was like, what about uh, like a word of prophecy? Like who has received one or given one? Every hand in the room goes up. It's like, wow, that's amazing. Good for you. Good for all of us, really. That's awesome. And then I was like, what about tongues? Who has, who has spoken in tongues or heard tongues and in interpretation or something like that? No hands. And I was like, how is that weirder than telling the future? Like, how is that weirder than a word of, pro how is that weirder than God touching a human body and restoring it? And people were just like, I don't know about that. I don't know what that means. That sounds like some AG stuff. I don't know about that. This is, this is non-denom, uh, multi-church multi ministry. I don't know what you're talking about. And, and I read 1 Corinthians 14, and it says, when you speak 
in a tongue, you speak directly to God mysteries. And I'm like, that sounds like a good thing. You edify and build up yourself. And I'm like, dang, that's what I need. When I'm about to have a panic attack, I need, I need the Holy Spirit. I need to build myself up. And, I don't, and, and Paul, who later on in the chapter says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. <laughs> and it's like, he's not trying to say, like, it's not that important. Just focus on the greater gifts. Focus on prophecy. It edifies the church. He's saying, you need this. Don't ever forbid this. And so that's just my little plug. I have, like, all kinds of notes about baptism and gifts. I'm not just trying to single out tongues. But that's one of the biggest things. When I'm seeking to fellowship with the Holy Spirit, that I pray in the Spirit, I pray in tongues, and I feel the presence of the Lord. I remember we had so many kids in youth group that came from conservative, cessationist backgrounds who were, like, really weirded out by hearing Daniel pray in tongues in the corner and Nate shout in tongues in the back of the room. They were really intimidated by that. And they're like, I just don't feel like that's from God. And I was like, I'm so sorry. We'll try and chill out. Like, it's just something that we, we've done and we do. It's just a part of, we, we have scriptural reasoning for it. But like, what makes you think that it's not from God? And they're like, I've just never seen it before. I've never seen something like that. It feels weird. And I remember sitting down with Daniel and a couple of girls who were pretty weirded out by it. And just saying like, even if it was fake, I don't want to sin while I'm doing it. <laughs> I don't think it's fake. But even if it was fake, I don't want to abandon God when I'm doing it. And I want to love him more after I'm done. <laughs> so I want to keep doing it. <laughs> like, it's, just, it's just one of those things. And um, so I would encourage you to, to rejoice, to search the scriptures. This is probably one of the least organized messages that I've ever written. It looked a lot better on paper, but I just want you guys to... Um, I want you guys to encounter the Holy Spirit. I want you guys to revere him and glorify him as he glorifies Jesus. And so I want to pray for us this morning. Um, uh, after, after I'm done praying, um, Elliot and Mia, if you guys could turn on the, the prayer playlist on iTunes. I just want to take some time. If you want to talk about this, if you want to receive prayer for anything, I'm not going to limit it to whatever, um, I would love to pray with you. I would love to take time and just um, talk about this some more. I think um, it's easy to neglect the Holy Spirit. And I don't think he's terribly offended that uh, God the Father and um, God the Son are mentioned more than him. I think they work together really well. Um, and they're not in like competition for who gets the attention. There's a lot of ping pong in the New Testament where they're referring to each other. Um, so I, I just want to take some time. I want to pray, and then we're going to just turn on some music. If you guys want to have personal conversations, I encourage you to have personal conversations. But um, we'll just set this, this place aside for prayer, and then if you guys want to go out, make a cup of coffee, make a cup of tea, please hang out as long as you want. But I just want to devote some time to praying and asking the Holy Spirit for his presence. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.